The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 93. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Just right off the bat, of course, uh, please share the podcast on your favorite social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, whatever you use. That way we can be seen by more people, especially those who would be interested in listening to us. And if you have time, we would really appreciate you leaving a review for us, um, especially in Apple Podcasts, because that also gets us seen by more people. So people can join in the fun and our take on everything Star Wars. Today we are discussing the the first episode of the Star Wars Visions uh, anime anthology, and this one is titled The Duel. Joining me tonight on the panel are Thomas Sanherjo. It's good to be here. It is very good to have you on, on tonight, Thomas. Um, he says that because I'm a junkie. He knows I'm, a, I'm a, an anime and classic Japanese film junkie. So, yes, this is my this is my thing right here. Yeah, we are going to yeah sit at the feet of your wisdom tonight. Um, and second up this evening is Angela Ciolana. Hello, everyone. I'm not a junkie, but <laughs> maybe just like in the middle of these two guys. So <laughs> perfect. We're it all... was definitely some good Star Wars. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. It was excellent Star Wars. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but before we jump into that, I did want to just mention our ham solo segment. And uh, this week is brought to you by a Babu Freak. And Mike <laughs> Creevy had put Babu Freak as his uh, deli order this week. I dare not even try to impersonate him, so please don't <laughs> ask. <laughs> um, just a reminder, of course, listeners, if you would like to be uh, featured in our Ham Solo segment, that's where you uh, put a fun random Star Wars name on a food order, coffee order, um, Star Wars in daily life, how it, how it kind of pops out unexpectedly, perhaps. Uh, we would love to hear your stories or your encounters with that. And if you use the hashtag Ham Solo on Twitter, uh, we will collect those and share those on the podcast. Or you can email us, starwars at sqpn.com, and we would be happy to share those fun, random encounters of Star Wars in daily life. So we are going to talk visions. And so first, before we get into the duel, I did want to kind of just kind of talk briefly about the overall kind of visions uh, anthology. And so Disney has done something that I wasn't expecting and I still don't know how I feel about it, but they released all the episodes at once. <laughs> and <laughs> that is <laughs> like on <laughs> one hand, it's it's really cool. But on the other hand, like you can just binge it all and then you're kind of <laughs> I like to to have these spaced out a bit more. So I'm actually intentionally waiting and watching one per week. And so I was Same curious here. how you yep. guys were approaching <laughs> the anthology series. Yeah, I'm not going to burn them all at once. So. <laughs> yeah. and, and after watching this one, uh, my kids were smitten. My kids were like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And, and unanimously from the older ones, it's dad. Seriously, you need to watch more anime with us. <laughs> and so, which is, I, I will admit, that's something that I've been a little bit behind on. We've watched a lot of Miyazaki stuff, but they haven't watched a lot of the other uh, animes that I think are really influential, especially not the series, just mostly because I can't find them anywhere reliable to watch. Mm -hmm. So mm. I have to either purchase them or, uh, you know, try and rent them from somewhere, which is really challenging. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I'm also, I'm in the same boat. I decided to just watch one per week 
because I just have to spread out the goodness. Um, <laughs> and, and it's also a practical reason because we're going to be discussing one per week on yep. the show. So I don't want to get things all mixed up. Um, mm-hmm. It's a focused um, approach. And um, I was also going to ask um, Father uh, and, and Thomas, if you all watched in English or in Japanese, because I chose like I, you know, Disney plus had my language as English, right? Uh Obviously. So like I, I, when I first started it, I was hearing it in English and I was like, no, I want to hear it in the original. Um, so I changed it to Japanese and I was watching with subtitles. So I was just curious how y'all decided to watch it. I didn't realize that was an option. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) I am going back to change that. Yeah. Like right after this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we go switch that uh yeah that, that's how i would prefer to have watched it now yeah. <laughs> it's yeah and it's interesting because that's that's how it was originally created and yeah. i didn't even i didn't even think about that being an option i always watch it with the subtitles on because it just helps me make sure that i don't miss something especially as i'm preparing for uh for the podcast so it would have been a natural progression to just uh listen to it in the original language i will point out however that there are a few voice actors on the English cast. Uh, not that I, I didn't know any of them in the duel, but there are a few coming up. Uh, for example, uh, Christopher Sean, who does the voice of um, in resistance, the, the cartoon, uh, the, the kid right. blanking on uh, <laughs> ca- ca- or Kaz. I, I forget. Kaz. Yeah. Kaz. I think yes. um, so like he's in one of them. And so is Mark Thompson who does the narration on a lot of audiobooks for star Wars. And so I Lucy really want to hear them. this one. What? Yeah. Lucy Liu was in this one. Okay. And I'm, and I'm not, oh, wow. I don't, I don't know that name. You don't know Lucy Liu. Oh. No, <laughs> you, you would know, you, you would know, know her if you, if if you, you saw her. her. Okay. Yeah. You would, you would totally to, be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's that one. Yeah. I'll have to Google that. <laughs> so, Choosing Kill Bill and yeah, so yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. Maybe it's one of those things that I need to watch it once in English and once in Japanese, so I can mm-hmm. get get the best of both worlds there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe I should have started with this question rather than waiting till now. But um, do you both think that doing uh, a Japanese style anime is works for Star Wars? I think I know the answer, but yes, <laughs> I can categorically yes. That, that's so. That's going to lead us into a lot of our discussion about this because mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if you don't know, uh, George Lucas based the entire Star Wars franchise on a Kurosawa film, an Akira Kurosawa film, which is Japanese uh, samurai films that inspired the spaghetti westerns. So if you've ever seen like a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western, you've seen essentially the the setup for what a Kurosawa film was. The, Japanese samurai film uh, that everybody would recognize as it. They were all black and white. The one that he, the one that Lucas based Star Wars on, was called The Hidden Fortress. And if you watch that movie, you see Star Wars. You see like the it opens up with the the two droids having a fight, but they're humans in this case, and they're guys that are coming back from a war, and they're just like the goofball characters that don't really fit the seriousness of everything that's going on, but give us an end to the, to the, to the, the story that's being told. And all of the, the nobility samurai kind of feel to everything, the empire that's overriding local cultures. And it really is like star Wars, but with the original samurai stuff to it. And so that's, uh, that's the feel that this uh, episode brings just from the very beginning, the first note that it strikes mm-hmm. is like this panning down from the stars the way Star Wars does. But instead of going onto this uh, alien planet, it goes onto a planet that we would recognize and it's in black and white with the, the film grains moving on it. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to add to that, um, there are some things that Kurosawa brought cinematically to um to just film in general that George Lucas adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things um, is the use of motion in the camera. So for example, you'll have a long shot, a long camera shot, and you'll have maybe a character off in the distance coming maybe towards the camera. And then um, 
sort of becoming a close up at that point, And then maybe the camera moves a little bit further and it becomes a mid shot. So you're getting all these different kinds of shots without a cut. Um, that's one thing that Kurosawa did. And another thing that he did was to use movement to kind of make the edits a lot smoother because Kurosawa edited his films as well as directed them. So he, um, he used movement of a character from one sh- one cut to another to really kind of create motion so that in many ways you may not even realize that the shot has cut um but that it's actually it's focused on the character um so those are a couple things um he also used like contrast to really um sort of let you know what a character is feeling Um, so different ways that he kind of isolate a character, um, a lot of like crowd shots, you know, um, things like that. So there's a lot of stuff cinematically that, that was also kind of incorporated into these. And I'm sure we'll see more, you know, in the, in the upcoming episodes Mm -hmm. of visions as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it was actually really cool, especially the way that, that in this one, the way that they used the black and white and the, the shots of color. That yeah. really highlighted certain things, or I think the first time you see the the Sith Lord, the the bandit leader, like you see her eye, and it, her eye is red, and the rest of her is black and white, and just mm. super menacing and and very very appropriate. Um, but before we uh, jump into uh, the duel, I did want to make a mention that um, one of the ways that I uh, always kind of have in the back of my mind when I'm watching Star Wars is. Where is this on the timeline? When does this take place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to I had to really resist the notion of trying to put it anywhere in particular. And in fact, uh the the executive producer uh James Waugh was was doing an interview and um he basically made made mention he's in referring to all of the vision stories, he says, quote, some are less on the timeline than others. Some could very much fit within our timeline, but Visions as a whole is more of a celebration of Star Wars through this unique perspective, this unique form, this medium and culture. And that was really the intention, unquote. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I had to kind of like let go of my need to just like figure out where in the timeline this was, because they mention uh, in this one, a Sith rebellion. And I'm like, ooh, is that like Old Republic or post rise right. skywalker but then you're like i i'm noticing like stormtrooper helmets that seem to look like you know the first order <laughs> and it and so i had to just kind of let that go and just say okay yeah. you know this is this <laughs> is not this is sort of kind of next to the star wars canon if you will and enjoy it for what it is and not try to not try to fit it in uh cinema or into the into the timeline somewhere that's my my son asked so who is this Mm-hmm. this ronin guy like what where does he fit and i'm like does, <laughs> do we need to know <laughs> is, is that necessary some He's of like, us some of Serious. us need to know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but but you but mentioning that uh here's here's a fun thing that's coming apparently we're not the only ones that need to know more about ronin they actually mm. del rey is is they're producing a novel that is going to uh oh, really yeah it, it's coming out october 12th so i mean just in a couple wow. weeks and it is going to uh, narrate this exact episode and expand on it. So there Excellent. is there is more about Ronin coming, but that's the only novel that I've heard of containing Visions stuff. So those of us who need to know more will will learn more. <laughs> so okay, with that, let's let's jump into into the duel itself. And uh, of course, first of all. Um, what'd you guys think of this, of this episode? I guess I'll go first. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I, I got some, I watched it multiple times and I got something different from each watch. Um, it, you know, at first upon first watch, I was just like, wow, what did I see just now? (laughs) Like it was just so, (laughs) it was just so new, um, a new way to watch Star Wars but then at the same time, there was a familiarity, you know, with mm-hmm. just the the Japanese um, influence of Star Wars, like you were saying, Thomas. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, that aspect of it, the connection, but also the newness. 
um, and just overall uh, very much appreciated the art and um, the overall intentionality of like like uh, the the Star Wars um, the the Visions uh, producer said uh, that it's kind of like a love letter to Star Wars um, in this style. So I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that uh, very much. Yes. I, this, the unanimous consensus in my living room after watching this the first time was this is the best Star Wars we've seen in decades. <laughs> so they, <laughs> which some of them aren't even that old. So they, uh, this is the best Star Wars they've seen, period. Uh, <laughs> I, we, we loved it. I loved it. I thought it was, as a Kurosawa fan, uh, it was such a great homage to his work. But then by itself, it was such a great piece of Star Wars fiction. Like it did, it hit all the right notes for a piece of Star Wars fiction. And then uh, for anybody who's a fan of um, Jojo Siwa, uh, the, this is the art group that did Jojo Siwa, so, uh, which is a very popular anime right now. Uh, so even if you, know, if, if you know any kids that are into Jojo Siwa and you want to get them into Star Wars show them this because it very much fits that kind of uh strain of anime when when the the sith pulls off her uh hood and the the hair just comes flowing out (laughs) as this huge voluminous thing behind her i was like okay that's where they came in i was wondering how they were going to fit in their their kind of style if they were just doing this kurosawa throwback um and then one of the, the the writer for this one is uh he he did uh production development for one of my favorite animes which is outlaw star it came out in uh, the late 90s and so he did like the sci-fi uh development so all of the the newish sci-fi stuff you see in here you can definitely see his influence in that so like the 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 umbrella saber thing was <laughs> so awesome and it's so much like fits the the feel of that show too so these are all of my favorite things just kind of put into a package and delivered to me so yes i, I loved it <laughs> Uh, one of the things that I would add, I, I did really enjoy it. I um, uh, did not expect it to be, uh, um, I, I expected there to be a Jedi in there. And the fact that there wasn't mm. was surprising for for me, which mm. a good, a good surprise. I, this was, this was a really well done uh, story. But one of the things that I would also mention is the music really caught my attention. Yes. There were I, I I could tell there were some themes that were coming from like the the first order themes when the bandits arrived, but then like even uh, in the the actual duel itself, the music sort of intensified, and there was this vocal chord or the vocal mm-hmm. chorus that was really I mean it, it was like sending chills down my spine in a in a in a good way because it's like just super um, intense and uh, just yeah I I tend to 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 pick up on the the music parts of it too and uh for not being a for not knowing much of kurosawa i mean i i also really enjoyed it and appreciated what 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 they did with it and so you're gonna have to fix that <laughs> yeah <laughs> have to get you to go watch we're, the kurosawa because if you like those elements yeah <laughs> it was the the drums especially at the mm-hmm. beginning setting up um the fight uh the um the sounds of like yeah that vocal portion mm-hmm. that's very mm-hmm. kurosawa also and remind me if I'm wrong or correct me if I'm wrong. This story reflects, is it the seven samurai by Kurosawa? It's a, it's, it's three of his movies all kind of wrapped okay. up in one. So it's the seven samurai is definitely there where that's all of the guys defending the village from this encroaching uh, group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's also, it, uh, there's a combo set of this one particular character that he has. That's called Sanjuro. And um, it's Yojimbo and Sanjiro are the two movies that he's in. And he is a duelist. That's his thing. And he, he, he owes allegiance to no one, goes for whoever the highest bidder is, uh, but still has a sense of the samurai armor uh, honor in him. Like he, he really wants to be an honorable man. He just doesn't have anything to that. He has no anchor point for that. And so he goes and, and does service to people who pay him money as a samurai. But he's also this, you know, loose cannon who can't really be trusted because you don't really know where he stands at any given time, which was so perfect, like for this character, <laughs> it really fit that that pull in. Yeah. And Yo- in Yojimbo, he he actually comes across this. It's it's kind of like a bar 
it's you know in in the movie but here it's a shopkeeper so it's the same type of thing you still get the beverage there (laughs) um so i yeah i felt like that was a connection and then also i felt like um in actually one of kurosawa's later is actually his russian film um in 1975 there's um i have to remind myself how to say this dursu uzala um but it, that that one's about a trapper in a forest um, who has a very close connection to nature. And there's this particular scene where he's talking about a kettle that um, because of the use of the kettle in this mm. episode, it really um, I, I saw the connection there as well. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was intentionally going back to that film or not. So, yeah, yeah there was a I lot. I don't doubt it. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of Kurosawa. <laughs> and that's a pretty unique sort of image. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fixing the droid by the time the kettle boils. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's kind of jump into um, the the actual kind of the story and the outline then. And um, one of the, the things that it starts off with is uh, it kind of pans down to this unknown planet. And then... <laughs> There's these words that appear on the screen. Did you both pick up what that was? It was the title of the sh- of the show, right? Yep. But, but it was in, in but in Arabic. In, in Arabic. Arabic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I imagine I was like, that's not Japanese. Right. Right. Well, my first thought was was yeah that it was Japanese, and then I had to look at it again, and it, no, it was it was the duel in, in Arabic. And oh, the nerd in me. <laughs> <laughs> I could read it. <laughs> yes. Um, and we, we, we come across first Ronan and his droid. And I think his droid is someone we should probably talk about, even though, I mean, <laughs> he's sort of already captured the imagination of people everywhere. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a, I think it's an R5 droid technically, but yes. Um, uh, R5 D65, I think was his. Yeah. I had his, his sign. Yeah. So, but he has a straw hat on. And, has just, and and he's got excellent sass like it's wonderful <laughs> sass <laughs> yes high sass on the straw hat oh, yeah. um, one of the things that you know I think this is like the very first this is so Star Wars like the lone person with their droid like out there you know on the planet like exploring or just kind of making their way through the galaxy type of thing um that is i mean correct me if i'm wrong thomas but i want to say that's where westerns um you know we get the connection to the western because it's usually mm-hmm. like a cowboy and his horse and, his and horse, yep. here we have the force user and their <laughs> droid so yeah well and it's interesting because uh like Kurosawa's films never had like the Ronin was always by himself. Like it was mm-hmm. very solo. So this is a this is definitely a Star Wars ism on it, or mm-hmm. like a spaghetti western pull in to it as well. And um yeah, it's the man and his dog or the the man and his horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh I, I love it though. Like just the this the shot of them walking into this village at the very beginning is so so great because you know you, you know it's obviously a, a, a an astromech droid, mm-hmm. but we we find very quickly that it's not just an astromech droid at all <laughs> i felt he was like like a mix of r2d2 and chopper from rebels yes yeah <laughs> so yeah he was he, especially when the ugna was trying to fix him and he was like all of the little pieces were all the little tools were popping yeah. out and he was trying to push him back in oh <laughs> uh, was he an ugna or a Sullustin? oh right know. Uh, I kept writing, it was hard I, to tell. Soliston. Yeah. I'm I pretty sure it Soliston said that he was speaking Solis. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it was. Or something. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we do then meet the, the Soliston shopkeeper uh, fairly quickly. And he's, he's kind of, he's kind of like Ronan's only friend in this village, even though uh, he, he saves the, the, the entire village. And, you know, the piece is, is shattered by the arrival of this, this uh transport with all the bandits and um and that was when we we it pans in on the inside of the transport and you see the the sith lord leader and her the the red eye which was again just well well done and the 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 story plays out of that the the bandits begin to attack the village 
and they um, we, we hear a little bit about the bandits. The, the Soliston seems to know that they're, um, you know, set up on the other side of the mountain and they're remnants from the last war. And so that's, again, where my brain was like, well, what war? <laughs> Which war was it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's just it was just a war that I don't need to concern myself with. That's, see, that's, that's one of the things about samurai is like there were so many wars. You didn't really need to like put it in a place. There were just so many wars, and there were bandits after the wars. Right? <laughs> yeah, and then I, I think here it's good to talk about the art here too because um, this isn't just two D or three D animation, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that this um, this studio really prides themselves on is the cell shaded style of um, of blended animation where it, it looks 2d sometimes, but it really is a lot of 3d, 3d uh, work that's thrown in and watching that scene. I, I especially like the scene where the, the troopers are rolling in on the, in the, uh, in the tank thing and there are playing dice and yeah. it, it has both feels very clearly. Like there's just a, it looks like a 2d image of them, uh, you know, or 2d uh, animation of them sitting and playing dice. And then they stand up to walk out and you're suddenly brought into this, 3d world and it was really awesome the way that 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 those two things play together very cool artistry going on there so they they begin their their attack on on the the village and they demand to uh talk to the chief and the chief is a kid is that common in no the chief wasn't a kid so this is and i love that my uh my four-year-old picked up on this okay well then he's smarter than me yeah, they zoom out. <laughs> well, there, there was a, uh, well, he was someone sleeping. The, the dad was laying in the bed, like sick, and so he uh, wasn't able. So that's the chief, that's and that's what he son. said. He said that's his dad, and and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And that's that's a lot. That really is a theme from a lot of Kurosawa films of like the the parent being unable, or the you know the, the parent being able to, unable to um, to do something, and so the kid takes on that mantle of responsibility and goes out and does whatever the thing is that that parent needs done and and they they also care for the parent as well and on top of that and um there's a lot of a lot of times especially in in many japanese movies where there's a a a figure that is bedridden that has to be cared for but the world still goes on you can't just stop everything to care for him you still have to keep doing your daily life and care for that person that means luke skywalker a la emphis nest you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah all those themes kind of circulate but that kind of makes a lot more sense in my head now because i i i didn't pick up on that so i'll have to chief uh, I, was, I was so proud of my four-year-old like going that's his dad and i'm like yeah buddy oh <laughs> 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 uh, yep so so yeah so the kid kind of stands up and i mean and he's he's pretty brave I mean, he's mm-hmm. standing up to these bandits and, and, uh, you know, the, the bandits are, are demanding payment and, um, and of course it, it leads into, into a fight. Uh, and actually the, the, the kid sort of prompts the guards to begin their attack on the bandits mm-hmm. and they do pretty well in the attack until the, the Sith Lord herself kind of appears and, and joins, joins the battle. And that's where we see that umbrella lightsaber <laughs> things that's really cool to note about high all heels yes. so like this yeah. was also kind of manga too right <laughs> it was very yeah it was jojo siwa that was the jojo siwa <laughs> moment right there like click click all right it, but it's really important here to note too that all of the mercenaries were from somewhere else because all the people in this village were human but all of the mercenaries were like there was like a tuscan raider there was a uh you know a four-long droid yeah yep. and so so they were all they must have been hired in by these people yep. and that's where right. you get that seven that seven samurai or magnificent mm-hmm. seven reference uh, okay yeah yeah wasn't there also um uh there was like an imperial probe droid but it was piloted by what looked like sebulba's race a, yeah a doug yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was just the droid at first, and then afterwards right. you see him like <laughs> in the little pirate seat there. It's like, yes, <laughs> right. Uh, the the umbrella uh, lightsaber thing, um, uh, at least uh, in the Star Wars universe, it made me think of the Inquisitors in Rebels, mm-hmm. who had their like. Right. They, I mean, they could like float because they could like twirl their their lightsabers. Helicopter. Yeah, yeah. The, the helicopter thing. So so yeah, so that. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> didn't throw me as much as it might have otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and the poor droid is, is hit by one of the, the stray bolts from, from the attack. So that's, that's where Ronan has the, the shopkeeper fix him, uh, by the time that, that, that pot of kettle boils. And, uh, uh, and at this point, uh, we should talk about the, the Sith Lord. I, I pulled some, some information on her from, from starwars.com and Thomas, I'm sure you can, can add more to this, but, uh, uh, this is again, I think one of either the producer or the writer, I'm, I'm forgetting who said this, but, um, he referred to her as uh, a homage to the Japanese tradition of female samurai warriors of feudal Japan called Anamusha. I don't know. Anamusha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the Sith bandit leader from the duel is a cool and cunning assassin reminiscent of the famous female warrior from Japanese cinema in the seventies, lady Snowblood. So I, Oh, cool. Yeah, I I can't really add anything, but uh, except for to, yeah. to to maybe go check that out. And no, that's, that's neat. I had I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, I can definitely see uh, that being a throw to the seventies style of um of the 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 female samurai. Hmm. And yeah, it's that it's that's not something that you see in Kurosawa's films really at all. Kurosawa's films were very traditional uh, in their presentation. They they did have a little bit of outside uh, presentation of like who a samurai might be but that was not uncommon even in the tales of samurai because there were several swordsmen that are very highly revered as uh master duelists that were not born uh nobility that weren't samurai in the traditional sense of like landowners knights kind of thing um but musashi uh Miyamoto musashi is the one that comes to mind most readily for that but yeah that i i like the fact that um I like the fact that she was very much in command of everybody that she was in charge of yep. and was incredibly intimidating. And <laughs> yep. the the way that they set her against that, uh, Trandoshan leader, I, the, with like three lines of, uh, of dialogue, they set both of those characters up so well. And then to make the, the four droid, like, or I think it was a four droid, but the, the, the droid like really ticked off when he dies. Mm-hmm. And, all of that characterization is done in such a short amount of time and it was done so well. I loved it. Really, really good scene there. <laughs> yeah. On the Japanese, um, voice track, the, uh, the voice actor for that character, the Sith was very menacing, very like kind of grovelly, um, voice. She, she kind of gave off a sense of like real disgust with, all of the, you know, the bandits that failed at their job. Um, and just, um, just looking down on every single person that she came in contact (laughs) with. So it was great. A true Sith Lord. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was also mentioned on, on starwars.com and connecting it more to the star Wars universe. They, they said that the Sith bandit leader is a fresh take on a classic Sith villain expressed through dynamic action and fighting sequences, not seen perhaps since Darth Maul faced Obi-Wan in the Phantom Mm. Menace. So she is definitely meant to kind of encapsulate that sort of a, a Sith villain. And, and I, she she does it really well so she does uh take out the the trandoshan and the droid and ronin makes his appearance to come and confront her walking amidst <laughs> all the chaos everybody everything going on around him just calmly <laughs> moving through the street oh <laughs> uh, but it i mean he so i i think what we know about him is essentially that he was a Sith or he was a Sith. So I think even he's at least in the, the, the lead up to the novel, I think he's, he's referred to as a former Sith. So he's sort of, he's the lone character, but he does have, um, the, the red, the red lightsaber, but he waits for her to attack him. Right. Which, was, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think her, her line to him is that he's a coward. And I thought I would like watching it a second time. That was such an awesome move on their part because 
it's she's not calling him a coward like like you could interpret it as the oh well he pulls the droid up to try and hit her and that's his dirty fighting and so she calls him a coward for that but it's no it's that he waited he didn't come Mm -hmm. in and just start fighting her he Mm -hmm. waited for her to attack first and that's why she calls him a coward because she's like you're just you're just chicken that's all (laughs) yeah and um i guess well maybe we can talk about his character a little bit because um I had to kind of like go back to the history of the samurai a little bit. Um, It's really fascinating. If you're not familiar with samurai movies or like Japanese culture at all, like I would suggest as we're going through visions to really, you know, maybe watch a documentary or something on YouTube um, to try to, you know, get a little bit into um, the culture because yeah, like you, you kind of alluded to Thomas that the samurai were the ruling class of um, Japan, feudal Japan, um, and that's how you know people gained power was to you know to to win in war. Um, so the idea of the ronin is um, a a samurai who has lost their master one way or another, whether that master has died or whether that master no longer um, gives his favor to <laughs> the the samurai. Um, and so he loses his master. And what a samurai was supposed to do when that happened is that they were supposed to kill themselves in this ritual. Um, and so if you did not do that, then you were a ronin, you were a wandering warrior. And um, so the interesting comment at the beginning that the shopkeeper makes, he says, oh, your master must be so generous because you just, you get to travel, you know, it looks like you're just traveling, you know, everywhere you want to go. But in reality, he is Ronin, so he doesn't have a master. And so I think that's kind of important, kind of in the Star Wars terminology that this person does not have a master in a sense of maybe he is his own master and he um the just the way that he's using the force like you guys were talking about that he um he doesn't use it for attack uh he seems to be using it for defense and he also didn't care about the bandits until the sith showed up so Mm -hmm. it seems like he has some, maybe he, he had some kind of grudge with his Sith master or just the Sith in general. And that is very, you know, Darth Maul that he decided to leave the Sith and just do his own thing. Um, so, yeah, I just found that combination of the Japanese history with Star Wars mm-hmm. to be really interesting. Yeah, and then if you connect it to what happens at the end of the episode, where he he mm-hmm. pulls the kyber crystal out of her lightsaber and reveals that he's been collecting those red kyber crystals. So he's got some beef with with the Sith, for sure. Um, and I, that that note, because Grievous did that. Yep. Grievous did a very similar kind of <laughs> yep. note, right, where he collected lightsabers. But... Um, they were trophies for him. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing to remember about Sith lightsabers, this is where you go really deep in the Star Wars lore. Yeah. Uh, the Sith light, the, the lightsaber crystals for Sith lightsabers were, are created. They aren't, uh, they aren't found and molded the way that a Jedi says they are like the, the Sith imbues all of their hate into mm-hmm. the synthetic thing. And that's why Sith lightsabers are always red. There's not an exception to the fact that Sith lightsabers are red. Most mostly. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I think is that still go canon too, because I remember go something about bleeding yeah. crystals. Well, isn't isn't I'm pretty sure that was in the Ahsoka novel that they explain that where think, like where yeah, like I, the, okay. the Sith would like yeah like bend the Kyber crystal to their will and it would. I don't remember if they use the terminology of bleeding or not, but they very well could have. But there, there's something there where they're forcing the Kyber crystal to their will in a way that is unnatural, and that's why right. it's it's red produces this red blade yeah and so that's okay. why and so when when he's taking these things it's much more 
personal than just collecting mm-hmm. trophies. Like it's you've collected some piece of this person's soul almost. Right. Well, and if it was just collecting trophies, he wouldn't have given it back to the chief or the chief's kid mm-hmm. as, as sort of a, uh, amulet to ward off evil. Right. So, you know, it, it, for him, it wasn't a, a trophy to add to the collection, but yeah, there was something much more meaningful behind it. Um, but before they get to that point, they have to fight first. And so that's of course the duel. That's where the, the, you know, the prominent, uh, uh, part of this, of this episode takes place, which was a, a very fun to watch duel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, Ronan, um, I mean, I was impressed with his ability to use the force to stop her lightsaber from striking him down. So that mm-hmm. was, that was cool. Kind of point number one. Uh, but then the way that, that they they have the whole he takes his lightsaber out of sort of a it's like a it's like a sheath that a sword would be in versus a mm-hmm. just hanging your lightsaber on your belt. And I have to give uh, props to uh, the, the sound design for that, because that mm-hmm. that was really cool. It's <laughs> a great sound. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because you just a lightsaber doesn't need a sheath, but maybe this one does, you know, like, yeah, it was <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, and then, of course, they, they, they fight and uh, they move out uh, onto this kind of fallen, fallen tree trunk over, over a river, and she severs it so they're floating on the river and towards a waterfall. And for me, this very much uh, conjured images of Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Except for lava instead of a river. So they they continue to fight, and uh, the shopkeeper, of course, is is uh, trying to fix fix his droid. And at one point, Ronan finally puts away his lightsaber, and the the Sith Lord is trying to tell him to throw his lightsaber down and you know uh, win win this battle. And Ronan uses his communicator button on his wrist once his droid is is fixed to send send his droid into action. <laughs> and i think it's waiting the, it, it needed it needed to move yeah 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 and you know the the kettle again like it just seems like such a simple thing but what it does um whether you realize it or not is it creates this sense of urgency mm-hmm. because he starts off by saying you've got to get this done by the time this kettle boils over and the fact that it's almost like a timekeeping mechanism and it also reflects like how the the action and the tension builds and then mm-hmm. finally it gets to that point where the steam comes up. So that's a really excellent um, use of a seemingly, you know, just an ordinary object, but it's creating this, uh, it's adding to the story and to the storytelling. Yeah, it was, it was really, really uh, well done. Uh, he, the so, so the droid and it reminded me of R2D2 when he like comes in and saves the mm-hmm. day in, in the movies and and so 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 very Star Wars. And um And were those whistling birds that he used? Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good question. They would fit. They they looked like them and they acted like them. They looked a bit bigger. That's that's, that's tropey Japanese anime stuff, though, yeah. like the the missiles that go everywhere right. and like hit everything. <laughs> That's completely like Robotech Gundam, that whole <laughs> string of things. So. That's more the the whistling birds was more stolen from that kind of stuff than this from the <laughs> right, right. from the Mandalorian. Uh, they just continue to reuse these things, which is great. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, I'm fine with it. <laughs> they're so cool. <laughs> Yeah, so so um the the R5 unit uh takes out the bandits who are who have captured the villagers and um also throws uh, an explosive at the Sith Lord but doesn't take her out. And the the fight continues and Ronan is knocked um off the waterfall and he falls down and he climbs behind the waterfall. And uh this the the Sith Lord follows and is um kind of gets in front of the waterfall and uses that log to clear the water in front of her and she sees this lightsaber mm-hmm. in the distance and assumes it's Ronin and tries to attack it and hits or just strikes down a statue instead who is holding a a lightsaber thus allowing okay, Ronin to kill her 
Yes. And there's something that I want to say about this, because at first, the first time I watched it, I didn't realize what she was doing with the log, that she was creating a space so she didn't Mm -hmm. have to go through the water. But once I saw that she did that, I connected that to when you go to Japan and you visit like a little shrine or temple, um, there is a ritual cleansing that you must do. Um, And if you're not like familiar with like the Japanese religious situation, basically is that most people are not religious in Japan, um, but the Shinto I mean, you can call it a religion, but I think a lot of the people who practice Shinto, even priests, would say it's not a religion. But the idea is that what you do is much more important than what you believe. And so mm-hmm. the act of going to the temple and performing the rituals as you should is very important. And so the idea that she cleared a space so she didn't have to go through the water before entering this temple kind of shows she did not purify herself Mm. before entering into the temple, but he had already gone through the water. Yeah. And so I thought of that as like, he Mm. was purified before he entered into that temple. So I thought that that was kind of a cool little um, religious connection too. You could also kind of um, not to stretch the analogy too far, too far, but I mean, use, you uh, make the analogy of baptism there too, of, of right. Ronan. Ronan went through the water and she, she did not. And I imagine uh, is uh, temples behind waterfalls, is that also a common thing that you would see in Japanese culture? Wayside temples are pretty common. So this is, it's, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, I wouldn't like say it's, necessarily it's behind cool. a waterfall, but yeah. yeah. But water is always part of mm-hmm. the temple ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I mean, I thought that was cool. I, I love that whole idea of, you know, everybody kind of wants to go behind a waterfall and find a, find a, <laughs> find a temple. So it, it wouldn't be unheard of. Like, it's not I, I wouldn't say that it's common, but it's de- it's definitely not like completely out of the question to have a very serene, natural place that's been turned mm-hmm. into a, a worship spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would make sense. It's close enough to the village, but also far enough away that it's removed and, mm-hmm. and isolated. So, um, so yeah, the, and then, uh, the, the episode concludes with, with Ronan going back to the village and gives the, the shopkeeper, uh, the umbrella lightsaber device for, for compensation. And the, the chief's kid assumes Ronan is a, is a Jedi Knight, uh, because of his, uh, his humility or his modesty and his, um, he protected the village. And they all kind of recognize him as actually a Sith when he uses his lightsaber to uh, destroy her lightsaber and remove the kyber crystal. And then he gives the the chief's kid the kyber crystal as sort of a a token for for what what happened and what transpired and told him told him it wards off evil. And then he and his faithful droid leave the village. <laughs> Right so. off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've already kind of talked about that. Um, and and like I said, with with the novel that's coming, I think I think it's going to expand on what happens next in the story. So I think it's it's cool. a it's a narration of this episode, but also more. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. So I think on a, a couple of notes talking about whether or not he's Jedi or Sith, um, I think one of the things to uh, look at is for, for our touch points, a uh, form of reference, we've talked about the kind of the Japanese version of a Ronin being separated from his master, mm-hmm. not having honor. Uh, but the, the one you could always remember is like uh, when you watch cowboy movies, there were always the hat colors, right? So hmm. the black hats were the bad guys, the white hats were the good guys. And then Clint Eastwood always had a hat color that was like in the middle, right? It wasn't, wasn't really black, wasn't really white, it was maybe brown or gray or something like that because he was an anomaly. He was a man with honor, but outside of the system. And so that's kind of where you have this character fitting. Mm-hmm. And if you gave him any color lightsaber other than red, there, it could be whatever. It could be yep. 
he's a Jedi, and so so you had to give him a red lightsaber to put him into that gray area because his actions don't speak to being a Sith, right? He doesn't come in and try and domineer or steal her place or he's he's there to hunt her. That's his whole mission. And and you see that he ends up saving the town, but it's not because that's what his goal was. Yeah, and that also, I mean, having a character like that, it creates a more interesting story, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because if he were just a Sith or just a Jedi, it would be maybe a little bit more predictable. But because we didn't really know who he was or what his deal was, you know, why is he so laid back when the town is clearly in danger and he has clearly been set up as, you know, this warrior character? Um, so, yeah, I I really, um, I think Star Wars is definitely exploring that type of character more um, mm-hmm. over these last few years. And so it was very interesting to see that type of character um again you know which is part of the japanese culture and history and and mythos um to show up here in in star wars the way that it did yeah and and i think these characters are 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 so necessary even even when we have a jedi we we want to know we want to see that the layers behind them and what makes them Mm -hmm. tick and i mean if if they're just uh, you know, they, you, they're, they're just always just kind of robotic in their, in their pursuit of good, or even the Sith robotic in their pursuit of bad. Uh, I mean, it can be a, a, a good moral story, you know, good and evil, but, but we don't relate to it in the same way as we see a character who's flawed in the same way that I am. And, and, you know, to struggle with some of the moral dilemmas that they do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I entirely related to Ronan by any means, but, you know, but that kind of a character who's, yeah, mysterious and somewhat um, in between and you can't just put him in a box is is very interesting to see how they play out and, and what the story does with them. Uh, any other final thoughts on the duel? Um, We didn't talk much about the wind, um, but wind and the use of like... The use of the wind in general is is very Kurosawa. And I mean, we've seen that now in The Mandalorian, right? Um, in that wonderful, um, what was it called? The the Village? Or what What was that Ahsoka episode called? Do you remember? The, uh, oh, was it The Jedi? I think it was just The Jedi. The Jedi? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So in, in that episode, we saw that also right with ahsoka just kind of coming in the wind just Mm -hmm. flapping her garment around um and the wind is is very important also in in kurosawa films and the flags that was always something that he really liked the the banners and flags and you see that a couple of spots in here where the the banners and flags play a pretty prominent uh spot yeah and the only other thing that i think i would add um we might have mentioned it but not explicitly was uh Episode four of season one of the Mandalorian, the sanctuary is also mm-hmm. a, a, a homage to, I think more, more explicitly the seven samurai story. So, mm-hmm. so these, these stories have been kind of brought in, in, in various ways into star Wars storytelling and, and they're, they're, they're doing a really good job with it. But I do have to say, if you like star Wars and you liked this episode, do go watch Kurosawa films because they are really the uh, the Seven Samurai is fantastic. Uh, the uh, the oh my gosh the the the, the Hidden Fortress <laughs> the name wasn't coming to me. Uh, the Hidden Fortress is so good and you really do see Star Wars in it. Uh, but then also Yojimbo and Sanjuro. If you want the winners, look for the the films that have Toshiro Mifune in them because that was. That was uh, Kurosawa's favorite samurai guy. It was like his go-to uh, samurai guy. And the guy had a lot of range. Like he could do everything from the, the crazy buffoon in um, uh, the Seven Samurai to the very serious uh, solo and then also to the, the Lord obeying samurai. He, he had a full gamut of what he could do as a samurai, for, uh, especially for Kurosawa. Yeah, stick that in my, my list of uh, to-watch uh, <laughs> movies. So uh, before we wrap up, we do have um, one listener email feedback that we want to get to. 
And this was from Jeff Hacker uh, via email. And he says, hello there. I just listened to the Django Fett podcast and wanted to share uh, the information and a theory about Slave One that I recently had heard. From Legends, as y'all discussed, Django was raised by Jaster Muriel after Django's parents were killed by Death Watch. Eventually, Django became Mandalore after Jaster's death, and he was later betrayed and sold into slavery after killing several Jedi. He eventually escaped and later stole the Fire Spray class ship and named it Slave One. The remnants of Death Watch were also eventually defeated, and Django left his title and the troubles of Mandalore behind. The theory I've heard is that Django named it based on his experience. My expansion on this is after the death of Jaster and his enslavement, Django felt no attachments to his former life as he would have been held down or enslaved by it. He became his own man and eventually was recruited to be one of the clone template or to be the clone template and make his way in the universe. I'm also curious if y'all have read the Republic Commando Legends series, which has great Mando stuff and the Bounty Hunters, Bounty Hunters, the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy. I just finished rereading the Commando series in a book club and and am about to read the Bounty Hunters War trilogy to get ready for the book of Boba Fett. I have read them before, but it's Mm -hmm. been a while. Anyways, I continue to enjoy the podcast and look forward to hearing your thoughts on the book of Boba Fett. Oya Mando and may the force be with you. So, thank um, you so much. This was yeah. um, a delight to read. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I had not heard that theory. Um, I have not read um, that series, and so uh, that was all new info to me. But I definitely, you know, I'm the one who said, "Man, you know, I've never liked how his ship was called Slave One." But now that I've heard that theory, I can appreciate it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a that's a better way to I think look at that that name uh, for sure. And um, I also personally have not read the Republic Commando series, but I have read. Uh, there are a number of books that. Um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. It's either I think it's either Karen Travis or Kathy Travis. I'm blanking on the the author. She she wrote those books and really developed the Mandalorian culture before Disney. Um, purchased Lucasfilm and, and kind of recreated the, the Mandalorians as we see in, in, uh, the, the Clone Wars. But she also wrote a number of books in the, um, oh, in one of the, the, the series after the new Jedi order, um, legacy of the force. And in those books, she also talks a lot about Boba Fett and, um, goes back to, to Mandalore. And so she reveals a lot of the, the culture through those as well. So I have read those and I've gotten a bit of the Mandalorian culture from legends, but, uh, the Republic commando series, I know gets really into it. And I just, um, haven't had the time to read those. And they're also on my to-do list. I'm never going <laughs> to get through them all. Never, but it's, <laughs> it's on my list. So, uh, thanks for the email. Thanks for, for listening. And of course we are excited to talk about the book of Boba Fett come December. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. And that concludes things for us, uh, this evening listeners. Of course, we want to know what you thought of the duel and please let us know by commenting on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash media. Um, you can tweet us at SQPN and you can send any of your feedback or comments uh, to our email at starwars at sqpn.com. And we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Mary B, Zipporah T, Tim S, Christopher H, and Lynn L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows here at StarQuest. And you can join them by going to sqpn.com slash give. Also, please make sure you are subscribed to the show if you are not already. You can find the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast player. And you can find us on YouTube. Just search for the SQPN YouTube channel and hit the bell to get notifications for new episodes. And you can find all of our previous episodes by going to sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And so we will be back next week as we will take a deeper look into the next episode of Star Wars Visions, Tatooine Rhapsody. So until next time, Thomas Sandherho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. 
It's been great. And Angela, Angela Cialana, thank you for joining us as well. Now that we're doing visions, I'm going to practice my Japanese. So, <laughs> arigato go- gozaimashu. <laughs> I'll try better. I'll get better. If we have any <laughs> Japanese listeners, I would love to hear your feedback. Yes, we would. <laughs> arigato gozaimashu. <laughs> and once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. <laughs>